Hey friends, Jason Miller here. This week's episode on the podcast, we have some exciting news. Uh, we are taking a big step this week toward the purchase and renovation of our future home uh, in downtown South Bend. And we want to make sure that you're a part of that. So on the episode here, you'll hear uh, the story behind this project and the news about how we move forward together. And if you want to learn more, uh, we've got a brand new website on the front page of southbendcitychurch.com. Uh, just head there and you'll see a bunch about the scope of the project, details uh, about how we'll pay for it, questions you might be asking, and a link there in case you'd like to make a commitment to get to the project over the next two years. We've also got a new film that we've released over the weekend that, again, shows you the whole project and shares the heart behind it. And it's a nice piece of storytelling that hopefully uh, will uh, give you what you need to know if you want to be a part of it. And we'll put a link for that uh, on YouTube in the episode notes as well. And then over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to share updates here on the podcast feed so that uh, you can be in the loop as we move through this project between now and Palm Sunday and look forward to celebrating on Easter what it is that we're going to do together over the next two years. Uh, you'll also hear in this gathering that we took some time for people to write down their hopes and concerns and questions and dreams about this project. And we wanted to make sure that you have a chance to be a part of that practice as well. And so Mariah is going to pop on here uh, later in the episode, and you'll hear from her as she leads you through that. Uh, we're grateful and honored to know that the podcast serves you, and we're excited to bring you along as we do this together. Late summer 2019, I sat on the ground in the backyard of a house in South Bend. I took that picture, and I ugly cried. I was there that day to say goodbye to the house that I had lived in uh, for like a, a decade and a half. Uh, I finally fixed it up and got it ready for sale with the help of some friends and listed it, and it was time to close. And I had just had this feeling inside that I needed to go over and, and like actually say goodbye to the house. Uh, yes, that is a flask in the picture, but I'm not telling you what's in it, so you can interpret that however you want. Uh, I felt the weight of that place. I thought about uh, all the stories that had played out in that home. Uh, in some ways, I was certainly more emotional because just a few weeks prior, I had given the eulogy at the funeral of a friend of mine who I'd lived with in that home. But I think even if there hadn't been that grief of that peculiar loss with me, I still think I would have ugly cried. Um, I thought about the stories of that place and um, how I had moved in there, still in college, uh, young, <laughs> I thought about all the mistakes I had made in life and the time that I lived there and how a lot of those mistakes became beautiful chances to grow up a little bit and learn. Um, I, I literally walked over to that big tree, you see, and I put my hands on the trunk of it and like felt it, like touched it. And, um, and all of that was thinking about what we hear in the Christian story about our relationship to like the physical world, to homes, to buildings, to spaces. I was talking with a pastor friend of mine from Belfast on the phone the other day, and we were processing some of this together, and he gave me this simple phrase that was really beautiful and helpful. He simply said, matter matters. That's helpful, right? And if, if you read scripture, it, it's, it's very Christian. It's very like, deep in the story there, whether it's the very first page of Genesis where God is delighting over creation, where God is sifting and sorting the raw materials of this natural world and making it beautiful and then delighting in the goodness of it, right? Or like fast forward to there at the center of the story where we read about what we call the incarnation of God living God's life in flesh and blood in Christ. 
like Jesus walking on dirt roads and sharing meals and living in homes, or every other page of Scripture where you hear over and over again that not just matter matters, not just the raw materials of creation, but even more specifically, we could say this, place matters. Place matters in Scripture, and it matters for our flourishing, and it matters in life. And I think I felt all the weight of it there as I sat in the backyard on that beautiful summer evening uh, with my flask. <laughs> and, um, and then I prayed, like, deep prayers of gratitude. And I felt the expanse of those 14 years in that place and how that place was a particular part of my own becoming. And that's what places are at their best, is they are essential to our becoming, both individually and as a community. And I tell you that story uh, because, as most of you know, next year in the summer, we're actually going to say goodbye to this place. And we're going to do that right, by the way. We're going to honor this place, and we're going to find a way to like, express our love for this place that you're sitting in right now, this room. We became the inheritors of its history when we moved in and found ourselves the next chapter in a story that began being told in the 1940s for this particular building here. And I also tell you that because as we come to the end of our time in this place, uh, hopefully most of you know now that we're looking forward to a new future in a new place. And today is a really important day for us to take a step in that direction. Um, As we have a bunch of new faces here, and as I know a lot of you have a lot going on, and it's hard to keep up with everything, I'm going to do a bit of review before I update us on where we are and what's next. So for some of this, us, this will be a little bit redundant, I know, but I don't want to leave anybody behind as we update you and we move forward, right? So uh, as we uh, began to process the fact that we would not be able to stay here in this room at Studebaker 112 after June of next year, we did a bunch of scouring the city, looking at all kinds of options. Uh, often leading the charge on that was Matt Grable, our executive pastor. If you know Matt, you know that not a stone was left unturned. People will walk up to me and they'll be like, yeah, but did you think about it? And it's like, yes, trust me, yes. <laughs> we knocked on every conceivable door. We emailed property owners. We drove around the blocks of the city. We talked to city leaders and city development. We talked with realtors. We, we have scoured and scoured and scoured. And we've brought advisors along with us too, by the way. So as we thought about where to go and how to make it happen, uh, it hasn't been just the staff team. We've got incredibly wise and wonderful people in our church who have experience with things like commercial real estate, who have experience with things like church buildings that have been helping us figure this out and do it in a wise and well-informed way. I also wanted to make a quick introduction for you. Um, In this process, because it's new for us, we sought out some outside counsel. And you should know that this is our posture with a lot of things that we do as a church. Whenever we're entering new territory, whether it's theological territory or cultural territory or, or church business territory, we often ask ourselves, well, who, who can we tap who has more wisdom than we have? And we intend for that to just be a, an act of humility so that we can be a learning community and not the kind of community that it thinks it just has everything figured out. So I do want to make one brief introduction because you should know one of the good friends of SBCC has been helping us along the way. Uh, this guy has been doing this for like 33 years. And he's helped like 500 churches navigate the journey toward like new projects and finances and new home. Uh, he's in the front row. Say hi to Doug Turner and say thanks to Doug for all the help. Yeah, Doug flew up here from Georgia just to be with us this weekend as he continues to walk with us. I can tell you Doug has been uh, uh, invaluable in helping us. He has on a couple of occasions certainly steered me in a much better direction. Uh, I know we've had a couple of phone calls. I don't, I don't know if you know this, but when I think I know something... I can be a little bullheaded. 
And he is very gently and uh, wisely uh, pushed and challenged. And yeah, I know that he's done that for others on the team as well. So that's part of the process is bringing in advisors, whether it's people who are part of SBCC or other friends of the church like Doug who've come along the way. But in that process, all that scouting and thinking and planning and listening to you, uh, we did a lot of listening in the fall. We have landed on a new plan for our future. Again, I know this is redundant for some, but I want to make sure that nobody's left behind as we move forward. Uh, The thing that we've landed on, the dream that we've settled on, the hope that we have for our future, the thing we're very excited about is the printing press building in the heart of downtown South Bend. So if you go out uh, our parking lot and hang a left on Lafayette and you go up to the Taco Bell, you have just passed our new home. Uh, That building is in two parts, the older part of the building and the south half of the block that we are not taking on. That's where the editorial offices have been built roughly 100 years ago. The north half of the block, built in the 90s, was going to be the home of the printing press. And it was until I think roughly 2017 when the internet and downsizing and outsourcing meant that they no longer needed a printing operation right here in South Bend. Now I want to show you what that building looks like and what it's going to look like when we're done with it, just in case you haven't seen this before. So uh, imagine with me that this building in the heart of downtown South Bend is going to get transformed as a place where our church can continue to live our life together and the community can find a home too. We want to make it beautiful and warm and inviting, which is why that courtyard is going to get greened up, and then you'll enter in through that courtyard to what is currently a loading dock area. But we want this to be a place for lingering and conversation and community connection to happen. We're adding windows so it's not so dark in there. Uh, If you've ever been here, like, between the 9 a.m. and the 11 a.m. gathering, and maybe you find an old friend or you make a new friend and you're having a great conversation, and then the gathering starts, and the fact that we have nowhere for you to go (laughs) to continue to connect is a little bit awkward. We'll finally have some communal space. Kids are also going to benefit from their own dedicated part of the building here. One thing about this that's really good is it's much more secure. Um, Unfortunately, like, we live in an era where that's really important, and we want kids' areas to be secure and to be able to ensure that the only people who are in that part of the building are people who belong there, and this helps us do that. Uh, We're adding more windows for more daylight and more transparency in those spaces. And then we go upstairs to what feels like a gritty industrial cathedral. And I know the first time I walked into this room, like, my first thought was, oh, man, the Tribune built a church downtown. They just didn't know it. It has the kind of architectural scale and sensibility of a sacred space with that big vaulted ceiling. And we're going to make some modifications to make it feel even more like us. It allows seating in the round. We're going to leave those windows. We'll, we'll probably put some shades on them. But we, want, we don't want to like hermetically seal our worship away from the world around us because we don't think that we meet God by ignoring the world around us. We think that we meet God in the middle of God's good, beautiful world right here in South Bend. And one more way that we think we can celebrate like, life in God's beautiful world here is to make that rooftop useful. Uh, we have wonderful summers around here, right? We are eagerly awaiting a wonderful summer right now. And in that season, whether it's cafe use during the week or whether it's maybe outdoor weddings during the summer that could happen up on the rooftop there, uh, we think that even the outdoor rooftop space could be better stewarded than the way it's being used right now, which is to say, not at all. That's it, right? You go, are you all excited about that? I know, I know that some of you are very excited about that. Yeah, we are too. By the way, if you want to go watch that like again and again, because I definitely have watched that again and again and again, uh, we have a brand new website that launched today or yesterday, kind of quietly. Go to southlandcitychurch.com. It's the same website address, but we have a new front page, and it includes that fly-through. Just click see the building, and you'll get to watch the same fly-through I just showed you. This website, by the way, which is just southlandcitychurch.com, is your one-stop shop for everything about this project. We've built it really intentionally. The team did a great job on this. It includes FAQs, uh, and then ultimately a way to make a commitment, which I'm going to get to in a bit. 
uh, in the listening process, as we've shown these dreams to this church community and talked about how we feel about it, what do we discern together? Uh, we've heard a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, one of the overriding themes that we have heard from you is if we do this, we want it to be good for the whole city, not just for our church. We want it to be a place where common good can happen, where it, the doors are open during the week for community partners who are actually making things better for people right here in South Bend. And I love that. If you all had any idea how many pastors have to drag their churches toward those kind of convictions, that has never been the case with South Bend City Church. This has always been a community with a kind of built-in heart for common good work in the city where we would just meet one another on common ground and do the work together. And that's a huge part of the vision. It's also the reason for the full transformation. If what we were looking for is just a place where the things that happen on Sunday mornings for our church community happen— we don't actually need that much space. I mean, that's actually true. We do have some pain points here that we do want to solve for. Like, we could use a little more space than we have right now, whether it's connection space in a lobby that's not just on the other side of a curtain from the gathering, or whether it's the fact that our kids really could use more space than they have right now. If you're a kids volunteer and you've been in there on a busy Sunday, you know, it can be a lot of kids in a room. It would be nice to have more and better functional room for the kids. So there's a few pain points. Uh, we would prefer to not be behind a gate in a part of the city that Google Maps still can't find. <laughs> or it tries to find it by taking you to a closed road that's a dead end, right? By the way, our staff team often does lunch here during the week in the building, and sometimes we order delivery. And we play a game where we watch the car on the map try to find their way here. It's, it's, it's really sad and, and really, like, um, clear that this is not a very accessible place for people. So there are pain points here that we want to solve for, and this building solves really well for those pain points. But we weren't, like, looking for an upgrade for the sake of an upgrade, just so you know. Like, we weren't, like, just getting tired of the space and wanting, like, a fancier, shinier version of it for the sake of a fancier, shinier thing. That was never the heart here. And if all we were looking for was, like, a way to live our Sunday morning life together, we probably don't need all of that. But once we realized that that building seems like the best place for us, we began asking, what does it look like to steward it on behalf of the whole city? It's right in the heart of downtown. It, like, it, the city deserves that space to be made beautiful and useful all week long. And once you start thinking about it through the lens of stewardship, through the, the idea that we're going to be responsible for this building, but we want to like, use it for the benefit of everybody beyond our own church family, you start asking, how can you make sure every square foot is made most functional and most beautiful for the most good that it can do in the city? And that's the impetus for that big, full-scale vision for the project. Make sense? Now, uh, the other thing that we've heard from uh, a few of you as we, as we listen and try to discern together, is this the right thing for us? Should we do this? Is some of you like, have um, some really um, legitimate concerns and questions about what happens when a church like, buys a building and spends a lot of money to renovate it and does all that stuff. Some of you have seen that go badly in church spaces. Maybe it was the case that when the church got to the building project, all of a sudden the God talk got, like, leveraged, you know, got used to squeeze the dollars out of the people. All of a sudden, there seemed to be a hierarchy in the community, and the people who have more money matter more. The people who give more money matter more. Um, these are really legitimate and important concerns, and they stem often from actual experiences. Others have the very painful experience of a church that claimed to be raising money for a project like that, and they found out later the money went to something else, which is not only heartbreaking, but it's just flat-out wrong. And so, like, having heard those stories, I understand why for some there is some reticence here. 
And we don't want to be the kind of church that scoffs at that or shrugs our shoulders at it. We want to honor all of that. But I want to return to a talk that I gave in the fall about church and money. And I just want to revisit a couple of things that we shared there. In case you didn't hear it, I want you to hear it from me. And if you did hear it, I want to remind you of it. Because this is a couple of the ways that, that at least I personally have kind of wrapped my mind around how it is that we do this and why we wouldn't be afraid of it, okay? First of all, uh, a story about a Norwegian venture capitalist who was a little bit drunk. Uh, last fall, um, I was at a, a table uh, with friends, and one of my friends had invited her friend to this dinner. And it happened to be a Norwegian restaurant serving Norwegian food, and our Norwegian friend, who was a new friend of mine, or at least so I thought, was really excited to host us with the kind of food from the land that he came from. And so for like most of the dinner, he's very gregarious. He's very like kind. He has this sort of hospitality energy to him as he shares this meal with us, and we're all enjoying it. And my friend, who is friends with him, even though I don't really know him, is helping him get to know all of us who are at the table. And so at one point, she starts introducing me to him. And she says the nicest things about South Bend City Church. What was remarkable about, about this is she's, as far as I know, never been to South Bend, doesn't have any real connection to SBCC, and is like kind of secular agnostic Jewish. <laughs> but she said the nicest things about our community, about um, our desires to be an inclusive community, to ask new questions and to do hard work together on behalf of our city and the world. And it's nice to be introduced that way, right? Like, everybody likes to have a little bit of a flex the first time they're introduced, and she's there doing all the flex for me, and I'm feeling pretty proud of myself, and I have no idea how badly this is playing with my new Norwegian friend. Because uh, he begins asking questions about, like, how you start a church. And I've had enough practice now at answering that question that I've discovered it's helpful to think about your audience. Because in this particular instance, I didn't think it would be helpful to say something like, I was seized by the Spirit with a conviction in my bones after months of fasting and prayer. Which is actually true, but I just didn't think that that would build a bridge of understanding between me and my Norwegian friend. And so knowing that he's a venture capitalist, I found often that like startup culture is a very translatable paradigm. And there's certainly a lot about starting a new church that it has in common with other startup ventures. And so I, I say, well, you know, you know how startups work. It's not unlike that. First of all, you figure out like a problem that you're trying to solve or a need that you're trying to meet, uh, an angle, a conviction, uh, a desire for what it's going to look like. You bring people along with you who are also excited about it. And at some point, you've got to raise money. And so people give sacrificially. And it's when I brought up the money that things took a, a very negative turn. And all of a sudden, my new Norwegian friend, or so I thought, he just starts coming after me. It's really quite awkward because we're just at this dinner table. There's like seven of us. And he's kind of like, he, he says things like, how dare you? And he's like, you know, religion is so corrupt. And now I know that you are corrupt. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, he says, um, religion is always exploitative. How, how, could you, how could you use God to like get people's money? And, you know, part of me, at some point, I kind of ventured delicately into the territory of like, hey, look, I know that religion can be exploitative, absolutely, right? But so can finance, right, Mr. Venture Capitalist? <laughs> I'm not saying it always is, but sometimes, right? <laughs> the point I knew that we were just totally off the rails was when he said to me, no, finance is never exploitative, but church always is. And then I thought, okay, I don't know that we're going to build a bridge at this point. <laughs> but, I mean, he pummeled me for like an hour and a half, two hours. It was just like... Just that, while my friends kind of quietly like slurped their soup and watched and tried to stay out of the fray. Thanks, for, thanks friends, right? 
And uh, I found myself responding at one point, saying something that I don't know that I'd ever heard myself say before, but as I said it, I realized just how deeply I believed it. And you've probably had that experience too, by the way. Sometimes when you're up against the ropes and somebody's coming at you, like, it brings out of you some things that you've had in you that you didn't realize were there, right? And in that moment, I found myself saying to my new Norwegian friend, look, I understand there's such a thing as bad religion, but first of all, I don't think religion is going away. It might evolve and take new forms, but I, at least from where I sit, in my own understanding, like, I think there is a mystery in the universe that we're going to keep exploring and feel drawn to and going to want to revolve our lives around it. From where I sit, I see Jesus at the center of that mystery, and I just don't think that's going to stop drawing people and raising questions and ask, like, us asking how it is that we're going to like, move toward that mystery together. And if it's the case that we're, like, we're stuck with religion, whether we like it or not, then the only antidote to bad religion is good religion. Right? The only antidote to all those bad actors, those manipulative environments, the exploitative movements that people make, that when they use God to squeeze people and guilt people and shame people to build their own little empires of religious whatever, the, I think the antidote to that isn't to run away from it, but to do like a better version of it. There are so many reasons for cynicism in the world today, specifically around churches and pastors. Like, I, like the, the, the weekly drumbeat of new headlines about new revelations, about the latest like, celebrity, highly empowered pastor who is behaving badly is heartbreaking and sickening. And by the way, if you think it bothers you, how do you think I feel? I get that. But in those moments when you take stock of all the bad actors and the bad histories, whether they're personal for you or they've been in the headlines, you have a choice to make, right? You either move towards cynicism or you gather it all up and you use it for wisdom. And wisdom says, okay, let's take stock of all that and let's get better because of it. Let's look where it went wrong and let's try to get it right. And I, I just think that's far more interesting and generative then letting all those bad stories lead us to opt out and shy away and not do interesting and creative things. And so um, for all who like feel the angst of a church talking about money in a building project, I promise you we get it. For all you who have expressed that angst, I genuinely thank you for speaking up. And you can keep speaking up and you can hold our feet to the fire as we do this together and help us do it right. Um, I think about the bravery that it takes for people in a community to express their own cautions or concerns when it feels like the community is moving in a certain direction and you don't want to be the party pooper and you don't want to be seen as the cynic. And I get that. And I'm even more thankful because of that that you have spoken up. And please don't like, hear me like, labeling you when I talk about cynicism. What I hear in, in some of you who have spoken up is honesty and candor and trust that you would actually share these things with me or with our team. But collectively, I think we've got to like, gather all that up as wisdom and then use it to make ourselves better. I told this story back in the fall as well, but it's the other thing that really helped me crystallize my own convictions around this stuff. Uh, I was in grad school at Notre Dame studying theology, and one of the courses that I was most excited about was a class on Paul. Now, Paul's the guy that wrote a lot of the New Testament, like the letters to the churches in the New Testament, like Romans or First and Second Corinthians. This is all from a guy named Paul who was responsible for starting a bunch of churches like right after the time of Jesus in the first century. And the reason I was excited about this class was because of my own journey with Paul. So like, like I grew up in a Christian tradition that had a way of interpreting all those letters. And Paul's a place where a lot of Christians get a lot of their theology from, a lot of understanding about what Jesus meant and what he did and how, why it matters for us and what the church ought to be. So I grew up not just reading Paul, but reading Paul through a certain lens. 
of how I was taught to understand what was happening in those letters. And if I'm being honest, the more that I read Paul, the less that that lens made sense to me. And then I stumbled into another way of reading Paul that's sometimes called the new perspective that I won't bore you with today. But in the 1970s, particularly a scholar named E.P. Sanders, he went back to the first century and he tried to understand Judaism in its first century context because Paul, of course, is Jewish. And if, if you want to understand a first century Jew, you might want to understand first century Judaism. And so when he went back and did that, he came out with a way of reading Paul that's had a lot of force in the academy in the last 40 years. And when I stumbled into this, it's called the new perspective, quite literally, I was really excited. And E.P. Sanders had a number of students, and one of the students who did their Ph.D. under E.P. Sanders was going to be my teacher at Notre Dame. I was very excited to get really close to the action to, like, read Paul through this lens. Now, right now you might be thinking, Jay, that's the most boring thing I've ever heard. You're a dork. You need to get better hobbies. I get that. But let me just, like, show you some snapshots of why I find Paul so compelling. These are some of the heights of Scripture, if you ask me. Like in Romans chapter 8, Paul says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? By the way, that feels very relevant in the last few years, in the last couple of weeks, doesn't it? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I don't know if you believe that or not, or if that rings a bell for you or not, but for me, that gets inside me, and it makes me feel like I'm expanding, and I'm getting braver. And so I was excited to like, get to know more of what Paul was doing because I want to get my hands on the experience that he's describing. I want to get closer to that thing that he's writing about. Uh, in Colossians, he says this, You've taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Now, you may not feel like the world has lately been divided between barbarians and Scythians. I get that. But he's describing, he's describing identity group categories that divide us and break us down. He's, de- he's describing hierarchies that have been structured in the world that lift some people up while others are cast aside. And he's saying that in this Christ event, in this thing that's happening, not just in the person of Jesus, but in our midst as a church, those categories are somehow being demolished. And we are discovering a new way of belonging to one another that puts things back together. And again, like right here in the year 2022, I'm like, I want to get my hands on that. I want to understand that. I want to move closer to that mystery. So I go to the class, very excited for my time under this professor studying in Paul. And then he tells us the first paper that we're going to write. And here's the prompt. Discuss Paul's rhetoric and practices concerning fundraising. I know, right? Some of you literally just like you heard the balloon pop and the air leave, right? That was my first feeling when I saw that prompt. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And then I stepped back for a moment, and two thoughts came about. First, I realized if you read Paul's letters, right alongside all of that lofty language about this mystery that he has met, of the love of God that is transforming us with one another, right alongside all that stuff, there's a bunch of fundraising stuff. Like, most of his letters have a fundraising plea of one sort or another. He's especially raising funds for a few reasons. He's reminding the church that you are actually responsible for one another. That in a church where some have more than they need and some have less than they need, you've got you to work that out together and be generous toward one another. Secondly, he wants to further the mission. Like the funds are actually needed 
to further the mission, to share this good news, to help people wake up and be formed in these kinds of communities. And so there's a bunch of fundraising going on there. And the reason I finally came around to embracing this exercise in the class was I realized what it is that I love and believe in most about church. And what I love and believe in most about church is that church is one of the places where my feet are held to the fire and all of this big and lofty and abstract thought and feeling about God is called out to show up in flesh and blood. I'm personally quite prone to sitting on my couch, reading books and thinking big ideas and doing nothing about them. That can be my bias in the world, to like, like feel these great lofty abstract thoughts about the divine mystery at the heart of all things and to feel quite enlightened because I've had those thoughts and do nothing with them. And church at its best calls our feet to the fire and says, no, you actually got to like work it out. Like we can feel a great affection for God, right? And it could change nothing about us or the world. We could feel a great, generic, universal love for humanity. This is like beauty pageant love wisdom, right? Like peace for the world or something like that. And it could form us not at all, right? And then there's this thing called church, which at its best is one of the places, not the only place, but one of the places where like our feet are held to the fire, where all that big and abstract like love and joy and feeling is, is brought to bear in an actual like, community in real life, where... When I hear Jesus say, love your neighbor, I've got to look at my neighbor, at women and men who come from all these different experiences, who are gathered not because we occupy the same social class or have the same opinions about everything, but because somehow the, the mystery is drawing us toward one another in the kind of community that Paul described. Church is one of the places where the big and the abstract uh, is, has its feet held to the fire to be real in flesh and blood. It's one of the places where the world that Jesus talks about that is entering, which is like the kingdom of God, this thing about God living God's life in you, that's the world that's breaking in. But it has to get worked out right here in the midst of the world as it is right now. And on my best days, when I want to grow up and keep like, like, like moving in the right direction, I'm thankful for church as a place where all of that has to get worked out in, in the reality of our actual lives. And so I was very frustrated with my professor and his question at the beginning, but by the end of that paper, I became really grateful for the reminder that this is what we're doing here, right? The big and the universal, the joy, the love, getting worked out in flesh and blood in the real world that we live in right now. And sometimes money and buildings are a part of that thing. And so um, this is how I've come to a place of not just peace, but joy about the project that we're tackling, about the, the reality, like the, the physical, actual process of buying and transforming a building. And today is the beginning of a four-week period of time where we as a community are going to take a really important step toward that. And I'm talking specifically right now about the financial phase of the project. The project's much more than money, but money is certainly a part of the project. And starting today, we're entering a four-week period of time where we're going to tackle the money part of the project. So I know you were hoping that we would talk numbers today. You just felt it in your bones. You thought, I hope there's dollar signs on the screen. They're going to move me to the Lord. Uh, let me put some dollar signs on the screen. Let's talk about the cost of the project and how we'll pay for it. First of all, the cost. So the purchase price of that building downtown is a million dollars. Now, I don't know how you relate to that number. I have never bought a house for a million dollars before. I've never dreamed of buying a house for a million dollars before. That might seem like a lot of money. I will say, every person I've talked to who understands things about real estate 
When we tell them the price and they know the building, the 40,000 square feet, the, con- the, ver- the very good condition of the building, they like laugh and they'll say things like, you mean 10 million, right? Really, like, like anybody I know who understands commercial real estate is concerned that we might be getting away with something so good that we should like lock it down very quickly. Uh, this is a really good price for 40,000 square feet of high quality space, uh, like good bones, as they say, uh, on the building there. And then the renovation is where most of the investment happens. Uh, the renovation costs four and a half million to do everything that I just showed you uh, in that like, big, beautiful vision for the building, right? Now, um, again, some of you uh, are thinking like, okay, million, four and a half million, let's do the math. That means the total project cost of five and a half million. Very good. You got the math right today. <laughs> now let's talk about how we pay for a five and a half million dollar project. Uh, this happens through a combination of a mortgage and what we are going to give over the next two years as a community, and what I'm talking about is what we will give above and beyond our kind of everyday regular giving, right? Um, the mortgage first. When we think about mortgage, uh, like what's prudent, we start with our current lease payment. So we've been paying rent since we moved in here. You know that, right? Uh, and by the way, we started paying that rent back when we were a much smaller church, back in the summer of 2017 when we moved in here, and we were really just getting started. But uh, I'm very, very thankful for a community that's been able to sustain that payment from the beginning. We've never had a problem paying rent. Even through two years of COVID, where during most of that time we didn't meet here, you all showed up um, in remarkable and faithful ways that made this uh, rent payment uh, affordable and doable through all these seasons. So what we do is we take that rent payment, and then we remind ourselves that when we own the building, we've got to pay for stuff that we don't pay for here. Like, we don't pay separate utilities here at Studebaker, and we don't pay a lot of maintenance costs here at Studebaker. So we take that rent payment, and then we reduce it to leave room for what the experts tell us we should budget based on the size of the building and everything for, like, utilities and maintenance costs. And then, like, you take that number with that lower sort of mortgage payment to leave room for the other stuff. Take that number to the bank, and you ask them, like, what's the amount of debt that we would carry if we were making that kind of payment every month? And that's how we come up with $2.5 million. Uh, I do want to point out as well that we're not assuming budgetary growth. One way that churches get into a lot of trouble is they adopt the if you build it, they will come mentality, and they turn it into a budgetary conviction, which is just not prudent, right? So we're evaluating whether this is viable for us with no assumptions about budgetary growth. We're just assuming that the kind of steadiness that has been with us from the beginning in terms of affordability will continue. That seems to be like the best way to do this. Um, so that's the mortgage, two and a half million. And again, if you're doing your math, you know that that leaves three million to be given uh, over the next two years. And that's the goal that we're shooting for with the next four weeks as we discern together the kind of commitments that we want to make to give to this thing. Now, again, that three million dollars, I don't know if you see that and you think um, that seems like a lot of money. Or maybe you're like, oh man, I've been wondering what I would do with this extra two million dollars that I've been sitting on. <laughs> I'm, I'm so happy we could help you with that today. Um, tax write-offs all day long. Like, let's just work it out. Find me after the gathering. I will buy you lunch today if you want to put $2 million into it. But $1,009,000 and you're not getting lunch. I'm just kidding. Uh, anyway, $3 million um, given, given from our community above and beyond the money that we give to the regular fund. That's how we get there uh, between, between now and, like, like closing the deal. Uh, we're going to do this for the next four weeks on April 10th. Uh, we'll make commitments uh, for what we'll give over the next two years, and then we literally take those commitments to the bank. Like, quite literally, the bank will take into account the commitments that we make to evaluate our overall kind of financial viability on the project. And, um, and that's how we get this done. And then we give over the next two years uh, to this project to make it happen. A couple other notes about this. Um, 
We are still in negotiations on the purchase agreement. Everything happening today, this Sunday, was actually meant to happen two weeks ago. We paused because we want to keep working on the purchase agreement process. We have learned that commercial real estate is complicated. Um, we're, really, we're quite convinced that we're almost there and that we're going to get the purchase agreement locked in and move forward. However, as we've tried to understand some of the details of the agreement that the seller is asking for, and we've probed what's behind some of those details, the picture that has emerged for, for us is it seems to be that while the seller loves this vision and the seller is actually quite excited about South and City Church doing this, the seller doesn't seem to be quite certain we can pull it off. That's kind of the bottom line. Um, not a lot of commercial real estate sellers have experience with church buyers, so that's just a realm of experience that's uncommon for them. Also, the truth is that in downtown South Bend, there are at least a couple of fairly problematic stories about young churches that bit off more than they could chew when taking on a historic building, and ultimately they left the building worse off than when they found it, and that ended up being a problem not just for that church but for the city at large. Those are real stories here in South Bend, and so I think there's some, some justification for the concerns from the seller that have complicated the purchase agreement process. Again, we have every reason to believe we're going to get this locked in and, and done very soon. Um, but maybe you have some of the same questions, like, is this viable? How would we know if we're going to be able to pull this off in some form? And if that's you, like, I get it, and I want to tell you how encouraged I am by our early progress. So we've already begun asking some people for commitments because we needed to seed some of the early spending. Like, we've already spent money on feasibility study and architectural renderings, right? And we also need to begin to make the case that this can happen both for the bank and for the seller. And so from those early conversations, I'm really quite thrilled to let you know how well things are going already. So we've received commitments from 21 individuals and families so far, and those commitments total $847,400, which I think is worth celebrating. That's a really good start, right? Yeah, uh, yeah $847,000 pledged from 21 individuals and families. And, um, and by the way, for more context, that, again, that's 21 individuals and families. Next slide. Uh, in the last 12 months, 284 individuals and families gave to the church in terms of general fund or designated giving. So we're talking about like, uh, you know, a little less than 10% of the number of individuals and families who already give. And we also know that a lot of people might give for the first time to this project who haven't given before. Um, maybe you've been waiting for the right invitation or the right project that you want to get in on the game, and this might be that for you. And so like, I think we have a lot of reason to believe that this project is going to be successful. Let me go back to the other slide, though. Um, I do want to say a little more about the way I'm presenting this. So I'm talking to you both about dollars pledged and the number of individuals and families, and there's a reason uh, we're doing that. Um, and this is one of the little ways that we are trying to live up to some of the values that we've articulated in this project, where it's not just about the money, right? It's about heart and love and faith. And uh, Jesus tells this story that you might be familiar with, where at the temple, he and his disciples observe rich people making their offering, and a widow, who to be a widow in that era is to be economically disadvantaged in all sorts of really painful ways. A widow makes what is financially like a very, very small gift. And he just looks at his people and he says, just so you know, she gave more. Just like that. Because, of course, he's speaking about heart and faith and sacrifice and not just dollars and cents, right? Now, imagine two different scenarios with me to kind of help further play this out. Let's say later today, you bump into me at a coffee shop, and it's, like, it's just a few hours from now, 
and you check in and you're wondering if what we did this morning yielded any new commitments. Like, hey, I wonder if even already there's been some fresh commitments made to the project. So you bump into me a few hours from now and you say, hey, Jay, any new, any new progress? And I check in and I report back to you. Let's say in scenario A that one new family has made a commitment and it's been a commitment of $100,000. In scenario B, let's say that one new family has made a commitment and it's a commitment of $1,000. Okay, so stick with these two scenarios with me for a moment. If all I talk to you about is the dollars, then what, in scenario A, I tell you, oh, we made $100,000 of, project, of, pros, of progress, which, by the way, in the practical concerns, that progress does matter because we are in the real world, in the material world, doing real things, and we need to figure out how to make this happen. So it's good to know where the progress is, right? But again, I tell you $100,000 scenario A or $1,000 in scenario B, and if that's all I tell you, well, scenario A, it's like there's a lot more going on. But the way Jesus talks about these things, that just may not be the case, right? I mean, it could be that the $100,000 commitment was like they won't even notice that it's gone. There are people in the world like that, right, <laughs> uh, who have those kinds of means, and it's, it's, it's not sacrificial for them to do that. And it might be that that $1,000 is this brave and beautiful act of faith, sacrifice, and commitment. And again, this is a very imperfect way of trying to honor that, but it's the heart behind talking not just about dollars given but about lives, families, individuals who are a part of the process and trying to honor that there's more to it than the dollars and cents. Does that make sense? Cool. Okay. Uh, That's why we're going to talk about that. And each week going forward, we are going to give you an update so that you can see where we're at in real time. We're not interested in just doing some like mysterious reveal at the end. We just want to be very real with you throughout the process about where we're at so that you can see how it's going. Uh, Every week, uh, starting today and then through April 10th, you're going to get an update in the gathering. Even though we're going to return to the Sermon on the Mount stuff for the center of our time together over the next few weeks. We're not going to colonize four weeks of gatherings just to do the money in the building stuff. But you're going to get updates there. Uh, Again, I want to remind you that sbcc.com, or southandcitychurch.com, the website, really is your one-stop shop. You're going to see the updates there on the page, and you've got all the information that you need to discern. And then... Uh, oh, by the way, one more note. We've, uh, we've transformed the mezzanine area into a reflection space in case you want to take a closer look at the project. Team has printed out these really beautiful large prints. You can see not just the renderings, but the floor plans. If you want to visualize what the transformation will look like. We've got that same flyover video that, um, that I showed you already uh, on the TV over there by the couches so that you can spend some time with it. Uh, and we've got Legos, or I think they're Duplos. Is that what they're called? Thanks. Okay, we've got like the big Legos so that kids can play and pray while you're up there. And by the way, Ryan Yazel figured out how to actually do a Lego model of the building, which is mind-blowing to me. (laughs) Of all the incredible and highly resourceful things that Ryan Yazel has done in our history, that might be one of the most impressive things I've seen, which is saying something because dude has done a lot of stuff, right? So anyway, you can head up there any Sunday between now and April 10th if you just want to spend a little more time with the project. And today and other weeks, we'll have team members up there who can answer questions for you as well. Anytime between now and April 10th, you can go to the website and make your commitment. Again, this is you saying, over the next two years, here's how much I want to give. The form will ask you a few other questions, like, for example, do you want to give that monthly? Uh, Do you want to do like a lump sum up front? That'll help us with some cash flow planning, which is just useful at a practical level. Uh, There's also a chance on the form for you to indicate whether you're going to give cash or some asset-based giving. I'm discovering that not everybody is aware of the fact that you can directly donate assets to the project, and there might be some really uh, serious positive tax implications for that strategy. So for example, if you wanted to donate stock, you could donate the stock directly to the project, 
rather than selling it and paying the gains tax on it and then giving the cash net proceeds to the project. Same thing with property. You can actually like, directly donate property to the project. If you've got that like, fourth beach house that you wanted to sell for it, that's great. Um, anyway, uh, head to the website between now and April 10th. Uh, anytime that you're ready to make your commitment after you sit with this for a bit, you'll use the form there. And again, uh, on April 10th, we'll wrap it up. And the week following that, we'll take all these commitments to the bank, quite literally. And not only will these commitments secure the rest of the financing for the project, but they will also uh, uh, determine the final scope of the project. So that $3 million that we're trying to raise in addition to the mortgage, just so you know, like there are scenarios that we've gamed out where we can do versions of this with less money than that. But the thing we're swinging for is the transformation of that building for the benefit of the whole city. We don't want wasted space. We don't want fallow space. We want all of it to be beautiful and useful. So that's why we're swinging for the big thing. But ultimately, we're going to like take stock of what we discern together that we can give, and then that will set the final scope of the project. So that's another reason that these next four weeks are really important. Then on Easter, at the beginning of the gathering, we'll celebrate uh, the number of commitments given, the money that we've raised or that we've promised to raise together. And then we'll move on to something even more exciting, which is baptism. And we're really committed to Easter being about things that are more than buildings and money, but we are going to report back to you that day on how all this wraps up. I want to be uh, really clear about why we're doing this, just to sort of like bring this home to a bottom line. One, we need to secure a long-term home. We need a place to do what we do and to be who we are as a church family. Like that's just as practical as it gets, right? Um, We did the nomadic thing early on in the life of this church for a little bit where we set up and tear down and move around the city. And I said this before, but curiously, none of the people who helped us set up and tear down have proposed that we do it again. We need a stable long-term home where instead of putting our energy into that, we can put our energy into other things. We want to be better stewards of our resources. As renters, there is no end to our rent, right? If we could stay here in this spot right here, in theory, 75 years from now, we would still be paying not just our current rent, but there's like a 2 or 3% bump every year. And it, there's just no end to that in sight. However, by going from renting to owning with a mortgage that's a reasonable, affordable mortgage, we can actually set a course toward a rent-free, debt-free future. And that means even more of the money that's given goes toward frontline ministry and serving the common good, right? We want to create new life for a downtown building. It's hard for downtowns to flourish when there's large, empty space in the heart of them. It's just really hard for cities to flourish when that's the case. We get to do something about that with this move, and we get to share that space for the common good with community partners for the benefit of everybody in the city of South Bend. Uh, That's why we're doing this. Uh, Jake Titus discovered this in the archives of the Tribune. Decades ago, the paper that would eventually get printed in the building that we are about to buy and transform, for decades earlier in its history, the mass of that paper described it as a paper for the people. A paper for the people, a resource to elevate important stories, to amplify the truth, to help people understand the world and their place in it. These are important things, and the newspaper has done that and continues to. Uh, But that building, which used to serve the paper that did that, we think that this building can have a similar purpose today. We think it's just time for it to be a place for the people. And this is how we hope uh, the whole city thinks about that place going forward. Not just as like the place where the Christians huddle on Sunday like the Jesus people. Although we'd be fine if they know that about us, right? But beyond that, that, like the whole city, people from every corner of our city, from different experiences and walks of life, from different levels of means and resource, that the whole city would think of that place as a safe place, as a home, as a place to flourish, to grow up, to grow whole, to know grace and peace. Uh, This is our dream for the building there.
Hey friends, Mariah Keener here. Normally, I would never dream of interrupting Jason, but he is actually about to lead our in-person gathering through a time of reflection, hoping, dreaming, and yes, questioning. Because we know a lot of you who consider South Bend City Church home are not able to join us physically, but join us through the podcast, we wanted to include you in this moment as well. You will hear Jason encourage people to write hopes or questions or concerns on an index card. During the gathering, we had the chance to do so while images of our potential new home played on the screen. So in the description of this podcast episode, you will find two links. One to our new website, which includes a See the Building link, and another to a Google form, which will send your thoughts directly to our team. We want to hear from you, and we hope that this time serves as an opportunity for you to dream about the future of SBCC and for the collective voice of our physical and digital communities to be heard. All right, let's jump back in with our gathering again. We also want to um, hear for you, from you. Uh, in a minute, I'm going to like shut up, and we've got cards on your seats there. And we've been doing this since last fall. We've been trying to listen and learn from one another, but we want to do that again today. And so we thought, as we move forward, what if we all had a chance to write down either like hopes and dreams that you have for this project, or questions and concerns? Because we want to continue to have this project shaped by the questions and concerns that you bring as well. And so in a minute, I'm going to shut up, and we're just going to give you a few minutes. You could write hopes, dreams, concerns on that card, and then we got a couple of ways to collect them. Um, you might have like the name of a person that you hope finds a place in this community, or you might um, have a vision for what the life will feel like when we are in there, or a hope for its impact on the city at large. Uh, I don't know what you're going to feel about that, but we hope that you can write that down. Uh, and I'll tell you, um, I'm not the only person on our team who's had a habit lately of driving over to the Tribune building and driving circles around it, uh, uh, parking in that little uh, loading dock area that will eventually become that beautiful greened-up courtyard, and thinking, meditating, praying. And in that process of going over there myself, I've been through a few different phases. Uh, there have been a couple moments where I pulled in, and I've honestly thought, like, really? I even had a couple moments where I was like, is this what we have to do? Like, I've, I've, I've been through that phase of deliberation. Uh, I've had moments when I've driven over there and think, man, I hope we can do this, but I don't know. It's kind of big and ambitious. I've also had moments when I've sat there and thought about our life here and imagined it happening there and it gotten really hopeful. And I don't just mean like Sunday mornings, but I mean like all the communal use that's happened in this space. I thought about uh, partners like United Way uh, or Hope Ministries using this space as they have here, having an even better home to do some things there. Uh, I thought about uh, the South Bend Board of Public Safety that needed a place for a, a public meeting to talk about something as high stakes as police discipline. And if you know anything about the modern world, you know that police discipline questions are really important right now. Well, that meeting happened here because we were able to provide a place for that. And I imagine the Tribune being an even better place for those things. Uh, I thought about Studebaker Talks, where recently we threw a party for the city and we heard stories of South Bend's uh, people, ingenuity, and progress. And then we partied out under the bridge with a DJ. And... Uh, I imagine like that kind of thing happening uh, into the future at the Tribune building space. I know, it's very exciting. <laughs> I thought about Notre Dame being willing to partner with us on Idea Week and bringing Kevin Kelly in here, uh, founder of Wired Magazine. This is a full house to talk about the future of spirituality and technology. We had people fly in from California to attend that event, and I'm not making that up. Literally, all the way from California just to be in the room that night to hear uh, an interesting conversation 
I just picture more of that happening there uh, in a space that's even better suited for the whole city to know that they have a home there, to explore common good and spiritual questions, and for us as a church to walk with Jesus together. And as that picture has emerged, I've uh, found myself more and more moved when I go to that building. And I'm not inclined to get excited about fundraising projects or buildings, which is why I tell you it took me a little while. Uh, But like three nights ago, four nights ago, um, Grable and I had been actually through a very long day working on the purchase agreement process. And it's, you know, it's lawyers and real estate and stuff. And um, at the end of that day, I, I drove over to the building. It was late at night. It was dark. And um, if you go to the side of the building where the First Source ATM is, you can actually see into the windows of that big vaulted room that will eventually be our gathering area. And so I sat there looking up into that room. And the best way I can describe the feeling I had was a sense of uh, spaciousness in my spirit. And I don't mean because the room is big, even though it's got these beautiful dimensions to it. What I mean is like I found myself sitting in, in the literal heart of our city and feeling this sort of expansive, spacious um, opening happening. And I thought there again, as I've thought before, about all the pressures that squeeze, um, that press on, that, that encumber a city like ours. And some of those pressures squeeze out dreams and hopes and make it harder for us to trust each other and they divide the city into factions and they leave us afraid of each other. And you can feel the kind of crushing pressure of some of those things. And then up against all that crushing pressure, you also imagine like um, the heart of the city expanding again, the ribcage inhaling again and breathing deeply again. And there's something about sitting there and looking into that room and imagining that us inhabiting this building and transforming it, not just for us, but for the city, could somehow expand the heart of the city and help the city breathe even more deeply again. Because I know that's the experience I have when we are together and things like grace and peace take on flesh and blood in place and time. And so that's me being very transparent with you about how I've gone from like, do we really have to do this to, um, I can't believe we get to do this. And it seems that we are in a position to be entrusted as stewards of this big, beautiful space in the heart of downtown. And um, there's a lot of wisdom we've gained from the painful stories that we've been through around churches and money, but we can gather all that up to help us do it better and to get creative and to be hopeful about the future. And so that's where we stand. Uh, We'll make our commitments anytime you want now, between now and April 10th, go online, and uh, we'll look forward to our future at Tribune. Uh, But I'm going to shut up now. We'd love to give you a minute to see those uh, images on the screen again. And if you've got a hope or a dream or a question or concern, you can write it on your card. And then uh, Mariah and team are going to lead us through one more song, and then we'll wrap it up.
Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning So 
As we sing that to wrap this up, I want to be really clear about a conviction that all of us in leadership here share, which is um, that as you discern and you open yourself up to what it might look like for you to let God lead you in a direction on this, we're not assuming that that means everyone like is going to move toward giving on this. That's actually like we're not the kind of community that assumes that the closer you are to God, the closer you are to our project. For a lot of us, yeah, that will be the case because this project is the, the place where our feet are held to the fire, the flesh and blood experience where we live this out. So for a lot of us, that will be the case, but not everyone. And that's why we wouldn't um, presume to judge what you discern in this season, right? Um, the win would be that you take some time to think about uh, what faith means, if anything, to you right now and what money means, if anything, to you right now or what this place means and to see if that moves you um, in some direction. We've got a tool in case this helps. Uh, we've been handing this out since the beginning of Lent. It's a reflection guide. There's copies available. You can also find it on that new front page of the website. It includes reflection on the Sermon on the Mount and baptism. But on the back, there's a guide there that might help you if you would like something to accompany you in the process. Uh, and again, that website also includes all the visuals in case you want to look at them through the week. And on that website front page, you'll see a link for your commitment. Uh, but that's there in case you want it. Uh, with your cards, uh, you're welcome to drop those in a basket on your way out, or you can head up to the mezzanine and you can clip them to the strings, and that'll make them visible for others who might enjoy seeing what you shared there. And I thought today would be uh, fitting for us to just uh, wrap it up with a good old-fashioned prayer. And so if you'd like, uh, join me in this. Loving God, uh, we thank you for meeting us in flesh and blood in time and place. That the mystery at the heart of all things, but the love lurking in everything that animates this world, that you've met us in concrete ways. And for many, we celebrate especially that we've met you in Jesus. And for many, we celebrate that we've met you in this community and in this room and in this home. Uh, we pray for the journey ahead that we would walk bravely and wisely, that the convictions that have brought us this far would grow only deeper, that we would wrestle together and dream together, and that we would offer something good, not just for the benefit of the church called South Bend City Church, but for the benefit of everyone who calls South Bend home. Uh, we thank you for our season here, and it's not quite time to say goodbye, but we thank you for what this home has meant for us. And we also begin to look forward to what a new place will mean. So uh, in every discernment process, I pray that you would give clarity and wisdom in the things that our team decides over the next few weeks and months, all the nitty-gritty practical realities of banking and purchase agreements and designs. Uh, we trust that the mystery is at work 
and that we can use this to grow closer to it. And we pray these things through Christ. And we all said, Amen. and may grace and peace be with you. Love you guys. See you next week.